0: Porter QI presents Quality for the Rest of Us with Gail Porter, investigating the mysterious world of healthcare in search of adventurous innovation and exciting solutions from professionals across the nation. When I entered the world of podcasting, one of the things that surprised me was how podcasters made an income. I assumed it would be like other creative products and services, and income would be based on subscribers and advertising. I was surprised to discover that many podcasters are making a living selling essential oils and other wellness products. Not just advertising them, but discussing their use and offering products on a direct sale basis. So many of these essential oils are trumpeted as amazing cure-alls for everything from anxiety to joint pain. It certainly does give one a lot to talk about. But as a medical professional, I've often wondered why people have so much trust in essential oils these days. Haven't medical advances taken us past warming peppermint oil over Himalayan salt? Obviously not, which got me wondering, why not? And whether there is some healthcare quality lesson that we could take away from the essential oils market to improve patient care. Today's episode discusses some non traditional data sources we should be using to measure patient satisfaction. Whether we buy into the essential oil hype or not, most of us have been party to the essential oil craze. For example, who hasn't had a menthol rub for some body ailment from breathing relief during cold season to muscle aches and pains? And studies show that these oils do something, though it's not always clear what that something is. One study at the Penn State Hershey College of Medicine showed that in a group of 138 children with colds, A little menthol on the chest helped them sleep better with less coughing through the night, compared to placebo or no treatment at all. The study was funded by and used Vicks VapoRub, and while corporate-sponsored studies always set off my suspicion radar because of the corporate conflict of interest, it's hard to argue with the defined results. And a century of mom voodoo. VapoRub is by all measures a mix of essential oils. It contains menthol, camphor, and eucalyptus oils, and the stinky goo has been used for over a century without any scientific studies to prove its effectiveness. It is important to note, however, that there are lots of studies, like the VapoRub study, popping up these days showing the effectiveness of essential oils. And thanks to the Internet, these studies are increasing the interest in and sales of essential oils. The essential oil market size was valued at $10.5 billion in 2022, increasing to $11.5 billion last year, and is projected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of about 10%. That's a huge growth rate, and it is not tapering off post-pandemic, but has climbed every year. Beyond essential oils, there were also year-over-year increases in the vitamin and dietary supplement industry, from a market value worth nearly $46 billion in 2020, this industry increased to nearly $51 billion by 2022. Indeed, there is significantly more of the population that responds to cold and flu symptoms by inhaling, ingesting, massaging, and gleaning with essential oils, rather than seek professionally accredited health care. The truth is that many patients would rather spend $100 on imported frankincense oil than spend $100 on a visit to the doctor. And in that respect, it seems like the growth of the essential oil market is essentially a vote of no confidence in traditional medical care. Or is it? It's tempting to think that these essential oil users are the folks that already don't like going to the doctor. Like men, for example. A 2023 study found that 35% of men would rather clean the entire house than go to the doctor. 25% would rather change a flat tire, and 21% would rather file their taxes. 12% would rather get pulled over by a cop on the road. And a 2019 study showed that 77% of men would rather go shopping with their wife than go to the doctor. But men would rather do all these things than use essential oils too. They are not the primary demographic for essential oils. Women buy 85% of them, and they're also 33% more likely to see a doctor than men, and 66% more likely to be the ones making doctor's appointments on behalf of men. In fact, men are 75% more likely to go to the doctor than to seek medical help on social media or the internet. So clearly they're not the primary market. So what's going on with women and medical treatment? Is it more of that mom voodoo, are we just a suspicious bunch Do we just run around with a pack mentality and use voodoo for medicine? Well, one survey showed that women valued being well-informed as a patient more than men and strive to be better informed via internet searches and social media. This is interesting because the scope is so much larger, but also the vulnerability. And perhaps that desire to be in the know is why the essential oils and alternative medicine is on the rise. When you do try to look up medication or treatments online... They're all basically written in another language that is both difficult for laypeople to understand and brutally honest about the results, which, if we're really honest, is often only a meagerly better performance than the placebo, and it typically includes a lengthy list of reactions and adverse effects that could be worse than the ailment. On the other hand, hack research uses flowery words that never mentions adverse events For example, taking a B-complex vitamin can put someone in the hospital because of reactions to high levels of niacin or allergies to B12. For oils, vitamins, and supplements, the warning labels that read, consult your doctor before use, mean almost nothing and get lost in the surge of positive online reviews. Really, the difference between the two is FDA regulations. The FDA lets the supplement and essential oil markets run wild while maintaining strict regulations on prescription medicines. And patients often pendulum between overregulated and totally unregulated medical care. The interactions with regulated prescriptions and supplements are little studied. And even if they were, there's no standard that the supplements must adhere to. So dosing reactions would be impossible to know. So all anyone ever hears is the snake oil salesman peddling their miracles. And I'd be lying if I said I hadn't ever fallen for these too-good-to-be-true testimonials. I've tried my share of supplements more than once, and paid for it with ill health effects. So don't take anything I've said so far to be a judgment or a boy our patients sure are dumb kind of rant. I mean, alternative medicines and essential oils have thousands of positive testimonials and reviews online and on social media that swear this or that product changed their life. It's hard not to be swept up in the hype, especially when a patient has an ailment modern medicine can do little for. And there are several. One field, the unregulated one, seems to have constant innovations, whereas in the prescription world, it seems like we're dragging through the same medications and putting a new label on it each year. And there are almost no testimonials for blood pressure medicine, for example. Even though it's a modern wonder that prevents millions of devastating strokes every year, you can't find a list of reviews of people raving how they never had another stroke after taking this medicine. But why can't we share those stories? Wouldn't it be helpful to know what other people have experienced on their blood pressure medicine, for example? Obviously, when it comes to sharing stories about medicine and procedure outcomes, there are some limitations from the FDA about claims that can be made, the legal implications of sharing information, and then there's also HIPAA to contend with. And even in-house, it is notoriously difficult to get true patient feedback. Between testing regulations, privacy concerns, and the struggle of trying to sample relevant users for a specific diagnosis or procedure type, it is difficult to truly know what patients are experiencing in their care. The current gold standard, despite all its flaws, is the HCAP survey where administrators pour over year-old patient comments that have little to no context. And these surveys only screen patients who have used our services, which would exclude former and potential patients. There are some workarounds to these issues. A few weeks ago, Craig Clapper sat down to discuss patient safety, and he said something revelational on how he collects patient stories to help in his work, improving the field of healthcare safety. He simply asks patients for permission to share their story. Just involving the patient in sharing their own story cuts a lot of red tape. And honestly, no one wants to forget about patients in healthcare. Patient centered care, patient engagement, and inclusion practices all strive to prevent a healthcare service or product where patients are an afterthought. Yet we so often forget to include the patient in their own story often hiding them behind numbers and depersonalized data. A simple consent form for sharing compelling personal testimonies could open incredible opportunities to help our patients get the care they need most. Remember those women who wanted to be well-informed about their care and were seeking social media as a source? Wouldn't it be great if we allowed them to be well-informed about their medical care even when it's regulated? Writing and simplifying these stories about treatments, procedures, and expected outcomes could help patients truly understand what they're signing up for and also catch issues early if their outcome is different than what the doctor expected. And patient satisfaction could be measured by the way they tell their story rather than a faceless, nigh-meaningless survey that often deprives them of expressing the specifics of their satisfaction or dissatisfaction. Doesn't it seem like there should be a simple way to tell if patients are happy with what we're doing? That's why I think we need a two-way street, an opportunity for patients to leave reviews about their care in their own words. I also think that we need to be watching the markets of vitamins and dietary supplements and essential oils, carefully studying why patients are choosing alternative medicine over traditional. Because truthfully, if we don't have the patient's voice— then we don't have real patient satisfaction scores. Thanks for listening to Quality for the Rest of Us. If you found this episode helpful, please consider liking and subscribing so you'll be notified when future episodes come out. If you have thoughts or questions, you can email q4us at porterqi.com. And if you're interested in joining our community, visit porterqi.com. You'll find podcast archives, helpful articles, innovative tools and a knowledgeable group of professionals just like you. That's porterqi.com. I hope to see you there.